Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. I don't know. That, that might be false. Might be false. I mean... Jeremy's 3%. Well, well, he, he makes sure he's, he's not the one that I thought you could say that about. But that's he's, Jeremy's three percent. Before we get into the latest on uh, the trade deadline and rumors, let's go back to the phones. Paul and West, you you're on the Killer Bees. What's up, Paul? Hey guys, the, the real problem—well, not real, but one of the problems with the Astros that's fixable without making a trade is just. Get the freaking lineup right. I mean, there's no reason Chaz McCormick should be hitting six. And, I mean, Pena and Dubon are hitting one and two in the order. That's probably worth, you know, the sabermetrics guys, which I wonder if they even have the analytics department anymore, the way Dusty makes out the lineup. But there's, and you can also put Diaz in at catcher more. So you can get yourself, you know, positive runs per game and better defense at catcher also by, by doing that. I mean, yeah, the trade deadline will help. But I don't think people should expect a blockbuster because the Astros don't have much to trade. And if they, the only things that they have to trade are major league guys. And so you're basically in some ways trading like for like. So they're going to have to win this with what they've got for the most part. But if, if I would say the one thing that they need more than anything is an innings-eating pitcher. He doesn't even have to be a stud. And frankly, they're not going to get a stud anyway. But if you can get a guy who eats innings and saves the bullpen and gives you what, what I would say a dependable number, quote-unquote, number three-type starter who gives you six or seven innings every single time, that's been the real yeah, problem. But Paul, 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 slow down here. The Paul, slow down for a second here because in a perfect world, you're also hoping that Javier becomes Javier again. You're also hoping that Hunter Brown is more last year's Hunter Brown than what we've been seeing hot and cold this year, and then you're also having to expect that everybody comes back. Like you said, you got to get Jordan and Altuve, and they got to stay healthy. But then you also have to look and say, it's not. I disagree with you that it's unrealistic at the trade deadline. You couldn't get a three or above starter if you look at Cease, if you look at Giolito, if you look at Montgomery, if you look at guys that are out there that are capable of being exactly what you need. And because in some cases there's rentals involved. You don't have to give up hardly, hard, nearly as much, and you don't need the farm system you're referring to, and you get better as a team. No, we're agreeing. That's what they're going to get. They're going to get a number three type starter. They're not going to get a stud. But so my point is they need a guy who eats innings. That's what this team needs more than anything. But if you just fix the batting order, you'll get yourself a lot more offense. Appreciate the call, Paul. I, I, I Look, to me, it's not the batting order. I mean – you can say, well, Pena in his comfort zone is in the two-hole, and that's when he hits best. Okay, that's fine, but I, I don't think that's the solution, and that, that's not even a Band-Aid. I think that the biggest thing is is that you have to be certain that you're not only getting Altuve and Jordan back, but both guys have already spent time on the IL and have been injured previously. So you don't, and you can't afford to have it happen again. And again, the Astros have been big in the last several years about talking about insurance policies. And making sure, as much as we thought they were deadline deals that were going to make them better and guys that were going to get starting caliber time, instead you got guys that legitimately were used as insurance policies. In this year's off uh, heading into the trade deadline scenario, they can't afford to just look for insurance policies. They need some help. 
And they need guys that also can provide insurance. But they need a bat in the outfield because you don't know if Brantley's ever coming back. Like I said, I've already written him off. And you can't count on a guy like Corey Jolks to be a guy that does what he's doing now in in the first ever chance he gets to be in the playoffs and maybe even in a championship series or a World Series. So maybe a left-handed arm in the bullpen too. And I mentioned Brad Hand the other day. And I said, if you could make a move, and when he was pitching against the Astros, are we seeing a guy that might be a future Astro? That's a guy that has a player option for like $7 million, I think it is, for next year, that you could get on the cheap that could be not necessarily an innings eater as a starter, but he could be a, a significant piece to your puzzle for the rest of the season. And if you like him, you can keep him. Not to mention, uh, if you've taken a look at Brad Hand's uh, home splits. road splits. Oh, no doubt. He is a very effective pitcher as soon as you get him out of Coors Field. Yep. He's like a three ERA outside of Coors Field, and it's like a plus seven at Coors Field. Yeah, he, he's just, he's been, he hasn't been able to get the ball down at Coors Field is what it comes down to. Uh, but you get him outside of there, and he's been he's been very solid. Pena, I know everybody wants to like, oh well, you know Pena and, and batting second. There's a big difference between batting second and batting second in front of a scorching hot Jordan Alvarez. Right, like these are two very very distinct things that cannot be compared. And while how much how, how much better does he hit when he when he hits too? Well, when he hits in front of Jordan Alvarez, he hits better. You know what? So would anyone else. He needs to, you know, be able to hit better on his own. This is one of the issues with Jeremy Pena is the offense is very inconsistent uh, with him. And you know what? It, it should be better. It, at this point, you're, you're expecting him to to make that jump and to uh, progress a little further. I know Pena is, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be 26 uh, in September. He's not 23. Still young enough that you can make uh, an adjustment here or there and, and, and improve. We've seen him. He went away from the leg kick. Now he's back to the leg kick. Things that keep going back and forth. Get something that works and stick with it. I know Bregman's one of those guys who's always tinkering with his swing. Tucker's another guy who's always tinkering with the swing. And I think that's part of the reason why they're so hot and cold all the time is they're always messing around with what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, look. Tucker with the batting gloves too, right? Like... Okay, whatever works for you. But at the same time, you got to hit the baseball. I don't care where you hit in the lineup. If you can hit, you can hit. Just do what you got to do. And sure, there's a lot of talent on this team. And a lot of it is tied up in injuries right now that you're expecting to come back, expecting to contribute. But you can't continue to rely on. That's why I've written off Michael Brantley. I can only deal with what I know that I'm going to deal with that's healthy now. And I can only assume that these guys, when they come back, are going to stay healthy, but I can't take chances. I've got to make sure I do have insurance policies in case they're not. You know how good they, that this team can be offensively if it's just Altuve and Jordan. But you also know that you got a snowball's chance in hell if they're not available to get to the World Series and win it again. you got to have both of those guys because they're the two most important guys in your lineup, along with probably Kyle Tucker and then Bregman. So when you look at that, you can't take chances because this is all you got. There's no two deadlines. There's no, you know, t- hoping that you pick up a guy late on waivers. You just got to make sure that you get all the ducks in a row to cover the rest of this season when you get out of the trade deadline. Speaking of the trade deadline, let me ask you, uh, this guy's name hasn't come up as much as other people's name. But uh, his last three starts, seven innings, three hits, no runs. Six and two-thirds, two hits, no runs. Five innings, three hits, 
no runs. Uh, Michael Lorenzen of the Detroit Tigers. He's 5-6 and six on a lousy Tigers team, but a 349 ERA, a 109 whip. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is almost 3. Uh, how much interest would you have in a Michael Lorenzen joining the Houston Astros? Well, as I always say, and Joe knows this because it just echoes through his head, at what cost? The biggest thing to me is I need to know what I'm giving up to get a guy like that. If I get a guy like that, then I feel like, okay, in the new environment with a better team offensively and defensively, can our pitching coaches and can this organization do what they've done with so many? But I think in this year, Pat, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, in this year it's different. I'm not looking to try and resurrect or improve a guy and get a guy like that as much as I'm looking for a guy that's already proven himself enough to realize he can do he can bring more for us than we can do for him, if that makes sense. Because they made Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole into better pitchers and studs and and you know, huge members of Astros history. But can they continue to do that and do they need to? This year I think it's more prevalent than and, and more of an issue than ever before that they need to get someone that's going to come and do for them what they've done for so many. Well, and this is why, you know, this guy is one of the people we're talking about is is Michael Lorenzen. Lorenzen's having the best season uh, when we talk about as a starting pitch, you know, a guy's a starting pitcher. This is his best season as a starter. He was he originally came up as a starter back in 2015 with the Reds. They moved him to the pen. Uh, at one point, he was even, you know, pitching towards the back of the pen. The Angels made him a starter again last year and didn't pitch poorly. 424 ERA is not terrible for a guy returning to the rotation at, at 30 years old. But now 31, he's pitching even better on a worse team. And the Astros are known for figuring out how to get the most out of guys. Uh, he makes $8.5 million. He's a free agent at the end of the year. At 31, obviously, he's not part of the Tigers' rebuild. This He seems like a guy, it makes a lot of sense for them to be traded. Yeah. The hard part is going to be, there's about nine teams looking for starting pitching, and there three is. to four teams were trading them. That's right. So the supply and demand is very much going to lie on the hand of those who are the sellers. They are going to have That's a where the Astros are going to get dinged, quite honestly, because they probably can't put together the asset packages that other teams can in terms of farm system players that could be made available and extras that could be thrown in to make a deal like this happen. And so that's why I keep saying you got to strike first and, and you've got to get out there as quickly as you can and be Dana Brown because if you find teams that smartly are going to wait and get build up competition, you might pr- find yourself completely on the outside looking in because you can't compete with what a lot of the farm systems that other teams have that they're going to bring to the table to get what they need. Rangers, Yankees, Dodgers, they got they got prospects. Now, here um two guys who in the past have been very good pitchers and are struggling this year. One is Lance Lynn, and we've noted about his velocity drop since pitching at WBC. And he's fastball heavy. He's fastball is, is about a mile per hour slower than it normally but, is. But I mean he relies on his fastball oh, yeah. a, a ton as a pitcher, and when your velocity goes down, that's the only heavy I meant with here's, Lance Lynn, by the way, not Steve Stones. Here's the weird thing about about him this year he's striking out more guys than he ever has he's striking 11 batters per nine he's missing bats but his walks are up to almost three and a half 
and he's allowed a league-high 24 homers. He's, he hasn't allowed 20-plus homers since 2017, and that was in 186 innings. Now he's in 108. I feel like there are things correctable about him. I just don't know that they're correctable this year. Yeah, and, and again, this is not what I'm interested in doing. Lance Lynn is a guy that we've been there, done that, and beaten and seen when he was supposed to be at his best. Lance Lynn is a guy that relies heavily on a fastball that's down in velocity. Lance Lynn is a guy that is Steve Stone, his TV announcer, is taking shots at his weight, saying that's the, the reason why. I don't need to have to be sitting here struggling, grasping at straws to find answers to straighten out a pitcher that I'm going to go out and give up something to go get. I need a guy that can be plug-and-play that's going to probably elevate his game and the team's game by being a part of this rotation going forward. It's kind of like Paul's point uh, on the call. I'm not looking for a guy that at best is a number three. I'm looking for a guy that could be a guy that whether you need him because of where Javier sits the rest of the season or you use him as the guy that could be the three if Hunter Brown is still up and down as you figure out your playoff rotation, can be a guy that's been there, done that, been a leader of a staff to where you can say, I trust him to do whatever he needs to do. And that's why I said, whether it be a Cease or a Giolito first in Chicago, I'm looking that way, a Marcus Stroman, a Montgomery. Those are the guys that I think are three-plus that can take you into the two range, that give you what you need for this season no matter what. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at a project that I can resurrect and make better I need a guy that's been there, done that, that can do it again for me. Well, you heard about uh, the other day the the comments from John Heyman about the Astros possibly being involved, uh, interested in a pair of Chicago White Sox players. Well, it turns out they may also be interested in a pair of players from another team, and we'll get into that next. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. You're hooked up with it. You hooked up with it. You decided to marry it. I told you I wasn't into it. You said it didn't matter. Razor Blunt Commentary. Delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Joel Blank, Patrick Craig in for Jeremy Branham. And uh, we were talking about different targets the Astros could have at the deadline. Look, I think we all ex- not just believe but expect the Astros are going to make moves at the deadline. How big those moves may be remains to be seen. What their appetite is to uh, divest from the little bit of high-end talent they have uh, at the upper levels of their minor league system uh, also remains to be seen. And look, earlier in the week, you heard from uh, from John Heyman. Uh, we also had Bob Nightingale on earlier this week. The Astros uh, certainly would love to get their hands on Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease is going to cost an arm and a leg to get because he's still got uh, two more years of team control. Well, the latest from John Heyman... Uh, He says, the Astros would love Cease, but I, Stroman, as their best realistic option with Jordan Montgomery, Lucas Giolito, and Eduardo Rodriguez among possibilities. Okay. I imagine Stroman's going to cost an awful lot to get. He's also a guy with a big So why? I, I think competition might be the reason why. Because contract-wise, it shouldn't be. No, but they're going to look at him as the best available starter on the market. 
Which and most people do. Eight teams are going to be in on him. Unless Dylan Cease is truly available, which I don't know that he is. I, and Joe said this yesterday, and when we talked to people from Chicago that I've talked to, they don't believe that he is. They believe that this is just a pipe dream that teams are drumming up or the, and that guys are writing about. But if you look at it from just sim- the, simply the perspective of the best arm that's out there, I think Strowman would be that guy. And I think that he would probably be open to... He fits all the criteria that I just said. I think he's a guy that's a three plus, capable of being a two for you. He's got good stuff. He's still got, you know, a, a, a good fighting chance every time he takes the mound to be a dominant pitcher. And I think he fits everything. But I think because of, like you said, the surplus of teams looking to buy, not sell, the limited amount of teams that have the kind of pitchers that teams are looking to buy, it's going to drive the price through the roof. It's like a hot real estate market. There's going to be one house on the block that everybody wants or only a couple, and you're going to have 11 different buyers that are going to be going cutthroat trying to get it, and that's where I think the Astros might be in some trouble. I also, I don't know how I feel about getting Stroman, not because of stuff that he said just specifically about the Astros. Stroman says a lot of wild stuff. He likes to talk. Uh, He says some stuff that makes you question if he's got three brain cells to rub together. And... He's he's a big mouth who does not have a problem rubbing teammates the wrong way. He's a good pitcher, but he happens to be having a career year right now. This is a guy who essentially just didn't like pitching in New York because it's too much media, it's too much scrutiny. But when you come here, there's not as much media and scrutiny, but there is very much the expectation. You're not coming here with, oh, yeah, well, you know, you could be a fourth guy. No, you're coming here. The expectation is win a title. Sure, you are. But I think that's what a lot of pitchers want. I think that's how they kind of find another gear. They elevate their game. They take it to another level. He's playing for his next contract as well, whether it be here or somewhere else. You go get a guy like that and put him in that environment. But that's the other thing. A lot of the teams that are also going to come calling on the Cubs and knocking on the door trying to get a deal done are going to be similar in the fact that they're going to be in the middle of it. They're going to have a chance to win it. They're going to have a chance to go far in the playoffs. And I believe that that's why he's so enticing to so many because he could possibly elevate a little bit, tone down some of the antics and the and the likes-to-talk aspects, but up the actual on-field game performances with a better team behind him and a better offense in front of him. I think that that's why he could be a great fit. But I think that, like I said, I wouldn't get your hopes up because I think there's just too many teams that are going to want him that have better packages to put together. I also think at this point, look, Stroman is who he is, and I don't see him uh, quieting himself for anything or anyone. Just this is who he is. So let's bring that to another pitcher who was mentioned in that uh, trifecta. Uh, another guy having a career year. That's Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers. Rodriguez is 6-5. and five. He's got a 269 ERA and an 097 whip. These are all numbers that are far better than his career norms. He's 30 years old. He has technically has three more years on his deal, but he has a player opt-out after this season. He's due to make $18 million next year. He's definitely opting out and looking for the big bucks at the end of the year. So let's call Eduardo Rodriguez a rental. Uh, if he's a rental, he's definitely in the mix. He's a guy that could help them. He's a guy I'd be interested in. If he's not, I'm still not shying away from the fact that I'd be interested but that's a lot of money, especially because you have money tied up in guys that are uncertain, like McCullers, uh, that you're going to have to be worried about as well. But he's a guy that's more in play for me because of the fact that that contract a lot of teams are going to be a little leery of. 
you you hope. I think if you're the Astros, he opts out, but you don't know. Oh, he, he, at eighteen million, he he's going to look at thirty that, million dollars. And see, that's that's the problem. Like you're getting him as a rental, knowing that you're not going to bring him back at thirty one. It would be great if he opted in and stayed at eighteen or whatever it was, and you got him for a couple more. But I I don't know that how that's going to affect what you have to give up to get it. No, and, and I do think, like I said, because he's having such a great season and because there are so few teams dealing pitching, I think regardless of who you go and get, the price is going to be higher than it not necessarily normally would because with no more waiver trade deadline, everybody's got to be in or out by August 1st. There are double the teams looking to buy than are looking to sell. Sure. So you're going to have a lot of competition. Your your Astros are just if they want to keep the window going through this year, look, they're going to have to they're going to have to make some moves that are going to be a little hard to swallow as far as as cost is concerned. Now, I mentioned about the Astros looking at two guys on the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Apparently they're also looking at two guys on the Cubs, maybe a little harder than we thought. So you heard John Heyman's talk about their eyeing Stroman as their best realistic option. Uh, Bob Nightingale today said the Astros seriously interested in Cody Bellinger. Well, then, like Jeremy and I talked about, and, and Joe, as a, the resident Cub fan as well, got into, into it as well, that conversation must have had, happened already internally, or it has to, if, it, if that formalizes to be anything more. And that is it starts with Jose Altuve in the room and or on the phone and or somehow giving his opinion. And at that point saying, I need to know how you feel and I need you to be the guy that take as the leader of this team takes the pulse of the rest of this squad to feel how they feel to bring that to the table. Because Correa is gone. McCullers ain't coming back this year. He always has a voice in the room, but I don't think this year it should matter as much. It's Altuve, then it's Bregman, and then it's veteran players on this roster and you got to let us know immediately, are you in on this if we have a chance to get this guy? Because he's the perfect fit in so many ways for this season. Because he's a rental. Because he's not going to cost you a ton. Because of the fact that he's a corner outfielder that can play first base, that has versatility, that can play multiple positions, and he's having a kind of a resurgent year to prove himself again. He's the right fit except for, and it's a big except for, all the water that's not quite under the bridge. Not just a corner outfielder, a center fielder. But I'm saying, yeah, you're right. He's multiple, but I'm saying versatility-wise, he's center fielder, he's a corner outfielder if you need him, he's a first first baseman, he can do so much for you to be exactly what you need on multiple fronts for this team, but he's also a first-class D-bag for the way he's talked about this franchise and gotten into it with players in the past, so you got to sort through that. No, agreed, and I think this team should have learned its lesson about bringing in a controversial player without getting it through the locker room first when they made the deal for Roberto Osuna. There were a lot of backlash. A lot of guys had things to say mm-hmm. about that guy coming to the clubhouse. Sure. And he was not really welcome by everyone in the clubhouse, even if he was very much welcome by a particular member of the front office who went and got himself thrown out of baseball with some of the things that he said. But anyhow, uh, with, with Bellinger and the mouth running, yeah, you know what? That's a conversation you've got to have with Altuve and Bregman. They're the two guys who are on that team. They're the only two guys who are on that team at this point. But then two guys I mean, McCullers who are on that team. there, but he's technically not. But I'm I'm sure that they're going to value his opinion to some degree. Because when you mentioned Osuna, McCullers was one of the guys that was extremely vocal about we got to have a conversation. And evidently, Jeff Luno didn't have that conversation before they made the deal. Didn't have a lot of conversations right. apparently. So I think that this is one where you get out in front of it 
And before you get too far down the road, Dana Brown says, I need to have a conversation. Either Dana Brown does it himself, goes in the locker room and, and hits up the key members that every, you know, locker room has of guys that are the locker room leaders and carry the most clout. Or you just go to Altuve as the team leader and maybe a Bregman or one other guy and say, hey, in 24 hours, pull the players, get the pulse, let me know how you feel because I got to figure out what we're doing sooner rather than later. That's realistic. You're out in front of it. That can That's going to give you what you need in order to say yay or nay on Cody Bellinger and or Marcus Stroman. And look, if, if Altuve says, I'm okay with it, Everybody else is going to get in line. And that was kind of Jeremy's point, too. Like I said, look, I would at least need to know what Bregman feels. He's a big part of this team still. And I believe that you have to show him the respect that his opinion matters. He's not, I don't care if he's not the offensive player he once was. He's still a very important part of this team. And his opinion should matter. What would be the best case scenario for the Astros and Shohei Otani knowing that the Astros are not going to trade for Shohei Otani. We'll get to that next. Yen, 97.5 and 92.5. You do like me. I just don't like you no more. You do like me. I don't. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights. But they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. He's Joel Blank. I'm Pat Trading for Jeremy Branham. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, 92.5. You know, there has been a lot of discussion about, you know, does Artie Marino basically want to be Harry Frazee and trade Shohei Otani? And, uh, what would the return be on Shohei Otani? So, uh this was one of the things that I found to be really interesting. John Heyman had put together what, what he believed would be uh, the type of deal that it would take to get Shohei Otani. And he specifically referenced the Juan Soto deal, which was Juan Soto and Josh Bell for CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, Robert Hassel, the third James Wood, uh, Harlan Susana and Luke Voigt. Now Luke Voigt's a throw in. But James Wood right now is the number one prospect. He was a big-time actor for a while. Uh, <laughs> might be a little crazy. Uh, but James Wood, the number one prospect, a 20-year-old outfielder in A. He's the number one uh, prospect for the Nets. Robert Hassel is a 21-year-old outfielder in A. He's their number five prospect. Susanna is a 19-year-old pitcher in A-ball. He's their number six prospect. They got three top 100 guys who are top six guys in their organization. Plus, uh, Mackenzie Gore is 24-year-old starter. He's 5-7, and seven, 459 ERA. Gets a lot of strikeouts, walks a lot of guys because of a lot of homers. And C.J. Abrams is a 22-year-old shortstop who's hitting 254. He's got eight homers, 36 RBI, and 18 stolen bases. Now, he's got some defensive room to grow. He has some on-base room to grow. But he's 22, and he's playing in the major leagues. They got a haul for Juan Soto. Not all of these guys are going to pan out. Right. If you go back to the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal, right, that was Josiah Gray, Kybert Ruiz, uh, Gerardo Carrillo, and Donovan Casey. Casey is in double-A. He's not a prospect. 
Carrillo is 24. He's about to repeat double A for the third time. He's the number 27 prospect on the team, which means not really a prospect. And he also can't find the strike zone with GPS. Uh, Josiah Gray is 6-8 and eight with a 359 ERA, but a 147 whip because he walks the ballpark, gives up a lot of homers. And Kyber Ruiz, 25, he was supposed to be the stud catching prospect. He's hitting 240 with a 689 OPS. Sometimes these great prospects that you think you're getting don't necessarily turn no, out. We talked about guys. this. When you go back and look at the, the Daz Cameron centerpiece deal with the Tigers, none of the guys that they got in that deal are making an impact like Verlander made here. When you look at even the Grinky deal and giving up beer and some of the guys they gave up, none of those guys are doing the kind of things overall that – I think Arizona expected or was counting on when they made the deal to get a guy that was a big piece for you for multiple years. I think that when you see it more times than not, and Jeremy and I have talked about this, and I'm on the, the side of I'm never afraid to give up prospects to get proven commodities that can make my team better because the prospects are a crapshoot. They can make you look like a hero, and they can be long-standing pieces of your puzzle, or they can be a square peg in a round hole and find out in short order, you hardly got what you thought you were getting to make a deal that you thought made sense at the time. So if I'm the Astros, I'm not worried about prospects other than probably Drew Gilbert in terms of what I have to give up to what I have to get, except for if it's a rental, because now I'm not going to be as willing to give up that much if I'm only getting said player for a three-month period of time. If I know that this player is going to be around longer, then we will entertain it. If I know that this is a, a, a team-controlled contract that we can get for multiple years, then I'm open to it. But I'm not going to do a rental and give up the farm as quickly as I am if we can make deals that make sense that mean I'm giving up some of my prospects or younger players, but I'm getting guys that are going to be impactful this year and beyond. And look, I don't think the Astros need to go get the absolute best player at every position, all the time. You have a lot of guys who are very good players. And they've won. They've gone to six straight ALCS without having, you know, the best player in the world, or the best player in the league that year, or, or however, whatever batter you want to throw out there. That being said, the Yankees have been after Otani for two years. The Dodgers have been after him. Mariners are after him. Giants are after him. Uh, I'll tell you what, the absolute best thing for the Astros when it comes to Shohei Otani is that Artie Moreno sticks to his guns and refuses to deal. I was going to say, that's the, you asked the, the, the tea, on the tees, you asked the question leading in. The answer is that he stays with the Angels. If he stays with the Angels, that is best-case scenario for the Astros. You don't want him going to the Rays, who supposedly are interested in the big splash that puts him over the top, as opposed to every year selling out and being cheap and hoping to God that their team that has a great regular season does something to carry them a little further in the playoffs. You hear that Baltimore might be interested, and by the way, Baltimore is nothing to sneeze at as they're now in first pace in the American League East. So you know that that's a team that you don't want to deal with adding a piece like that both as a pitcher and a bat. You obviously know that the Yankees, as much as they're cellar dwellers right now, if they get a guy like Otani and Judge comes back, that's a formidable, formidable middle of the lineup that's going to probably elevate their game to probably put them in and could be a handful. You'd like him to go to the National League. You understand that the Dodgers are probably where he's going to end up when he signs his contract. But if the Dodgers get him, the Dodgers 
no matter where they are in the standings right now, they're the Utah Jazz of the playoffs, except for the the, the sixty game season that doesn't count. And and you're not worried about them, and you only see them in the World Series. But even then, I don't know that I'd see him in the World Series even if he got there. So I'm not as worried about a National League team. But ideally, if you're an Astros fan, if he stays put, and Artie Moreno says the only got time that I have a chance to even consider keeping this guy is if I don't trade him, and he doesn't, then you go and you exhale and say, "Let's go. I'm good." I I feel pretty. If you asked me, you know, which way do you lean stronger? He is going to be traded, or he's not going to be traded. I don't think he's getting traded. I think Marino was too damn scared to move him. Well, I think that he understands as much as I think leading into this year and maybe a little bit prior to that, he regrets all the long-term deals are on the the, the Rondones, and he knows he's paying Trout a boatload. The Pujols deal. The, yeah, all those kind of deals. The deal. While never addressing what was really needed was pitching. So I think that he was ready to press the reset button. But then he realized this guy is the real deal. And this guy is maybe so transcending that you can't afford to go without him and you've got to be in the mix to try and keep him to where he changed his mind. But he went from being super cheap suddenly and and thinking about a rebuild to thinking, if I let this guy walk out my door, especially whether I get something for him or not, and he ends up being who everybody thinks he can continue to be for the next five, seven years, however long it takes, barring injury, that could be one of the biggest missteps in the history of professional sports. I got to be in the mix. So probably there's people around him going, hey, might want to stay in the mix here. Might want to keep your name in the hat and hope there's a chance he wants to stay home and stay here. And so if you're if you're Artie Moreno, I get it because it could be a catastrophic miss if you let him go. The only, and look, their chances of re-signing Shohei are. Less than 5%, if we're going to be fair about it. You think it's that low? I think it's that low. I think think he wants to stay in L.A., and I think that having two teams to deal with is perfect for him. But I think Shohei wants out of Disney. He wants to play for a team that can win, and the Angels aren't going to be I think that's the biggest biggest difference is I think he'd be fine staying with a team if he knew Mike Trout was healthy and that, you know, everybody else was healthy and that they were going to continue to add pitching and do the things necessary. That's not a winning franchise, and they don't have a winning record. And the Dodgers do in the regular season and, and in their history. Look, the only way Artie Marino can save face is he doesn't trade him. He offers him a boatload of money. And look, the Dodgers can outbid Marino. The Yankees can outbid Marino. He can say, look, we put our best offer forward. Well, it covers his ass. And, and, and that's really what it is. Yeah. This is CYA, 100%. This is how he saves face with the fan base. We didn't trade him. We wanted to sign him. We offered him more money than we've ever offered anybody ever. It's absolutely the most we could give. We don't have the resources that the Dodgers and the Yankees have, and ultimately, that's why we lost. Not because we suck as an organization, but because we just couldn't give the money. That's how he'll pitch it and spin it. And in reality, that's the worst thing he can do for his franchise because they're going to get, what, one draft pick for Shohei Otani versus, say, five to six minor leaguers that they could take shots with. It's it's bad baseball sense, but it's good PR sense, even though they, they're not kind of... Well, this is like when you were referencing the Soto trade. This is when Washington was getting new ownership, and they said, do what you're going to do with Soto, but don't put it on our ticket that once we buy the team, the first move that we're known for is the one, the team that traded Juan Soto. And so they wanted it done before they took control and ownership of the team, and, and that's just smart business. And I don't buy... The Rays are going to make the move 
the Rays are always a bottom five payroll team. Nothing in their history has ever said they're going to give away a ton of prospects. You know the team I didn't mention, Pat? That's your favorite. The mess? No. The junk grabbers. Uh-huh. If they're, you know, they've been go-for-it mode for the last year and a half. If they truly are going over the top, go for it. They have prospects, too, that could make a deal that as much as our boy Tad on, Tab on the on the hotline today tried to t- you know throw shade at us for being Astros fans, they could make it a whole lot more interesting for them and a whole lot more difficult for the Astros if they made that move. So if we look at the top five prospects in the Rangers system, three are in double-A, one is in triple-A. Evan Carter's 20 years old, double-A is their number one prospect. Owen White's a right-handed pitcher. He's 23, he's in triple-A. Uh, Louis Angel Acuna is 21 in double-A. He's a middle infielder. And then 23 years old, double-A, right-handed pitcher, Jack Leiter. Al's son, right? Yeah. Um, kid from Vanderbilt. Kid from Vanderbilt. Uh, I think it's Mark's son. Mark's son? Either way, look, you know, good genes and also a hell of a fastball. Uh, the Rangers are in go-for-it mode. And it's clearly the case in what they did the last two years in free agency. They've also had some young players come and fortify their lineup enough to where that they are in a in a in a situation where they can afford to be in complete go for it mode because they're not like the Angels because they've got guys like like uh, you know young this year at third base and Jonah behind the plate to where you realize hey you've got two young guys that made the All Star team you've got three guys with Garcia who you already knew was a stud and an Astros killer now you've got Seager and Simeon performing close to what they were supposed to be when they were signed for big dollars. And you've got a better pitching staff than maybe you've had ever. And that's without Jacob deGrom. Why wouldn't they take a big swing for the fence and say, if we get Shohei and maybe if he likes it here, we have a chance. But even if we don't, we got a chance to do what we need to do to kind of make a name for ourselves both in the state and across baseball and do something that we haven't done before, which is win a World, win a World Series. I think they're going to be players. So Evan Carter, who's their number one prospect, is number six in all of baseball. Uh, of those five guys that we talked about, every one of them is a top 100 guy. That's it, a big pack. I mean, look, you're talking that, about three to four of those guys. That dog will hunt, and that's something that the Angels will have to consider. I can't imagine they'd be willing to trade them in division. I mean, you're going to trade them to a team. You're going to help a division winner. Uh, get to the promised land that you can't that's get That's normally to. the case, but when you're talking about prospects ranked that high, Pat, if you're going to do it, that's what you're going to do it for. They better pan out because, you know, that's going to be one of those deals where it's going to be forever. Who got the better end of this deal? Did you just give another team uh, a, a World Series? That's going to be a big, big deal. Uh, let's uh, Let's get into... Uh, a little bit of fun with something next. Is this responsibility or is this entitlement? Next. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here, your family. Look at our family now. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Joel, you've been around 
professional sports teams for a long time. People know that you were with the Rockets for a very long time, over 20 years. Before that, you were with the Trailblazers. Uh, you, you've been involved with, with pro sports for a long time. How much uh, or, or how aggressive have you seen people autograph hounds get with players? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I've seen it on multiple fronts. I mean, I, I remember a time in Philadelphia when we were leaving the hotel and they had like this secret underground where the bus loaded up to go from the hotel to shoot around. And Clyde and I were walking to the bus and I saw Clyde just completely ghost this dude. Uh, and he had signed a couple other autographs. We got on the bus. I go, hey, what was it with that guy right there? He's like, get a good look at him. I was like, all right. He goes, I'll show you. We went all the way over to the building, and literally with traffic and everything else, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if there was an escort or not, but they're making sure the bus gets there. The minute we get out the bus, Clyde hits me in the shoulder, and he goes, remember the guy? I go, yeah. He goes, right there. He beat us here only to get autographs so he could sell them. He's like, I'm not signing that guy's stuff. I go, I totally get it. I, I didn't realize that, all right? But then I also, spending all those years with Charles, would tell you that more times than not, and he handled it better than I did, shocker, but I saw people that would come up and say, Charles, sign this. Charles signed everything for everybody. He was always the man of the people. But then I would see guys that say, hey, sign it to so-and-so, and it was a long name. He didn't know how to spell it. He goes, how about I just put to sign my name, you can write your name there, and it's good. And then I would see the person crumple up the autograph, throw it at him and throw, try to throw it in his face and tell him off. And I'd be the first one to pop up and say, whoa, no, 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 no. We ain't doing that. And he'd be like, Joel, let it go. I'm not letting that go because that's rude and disrespectful to a guy that wasn't rude and disrespectful to you. So I know that even at that time and those time, and when I was doing it, it was, a, it was a deal that everybody wanted to be involved in that people were trying to make big money out of. Now it's an even bigger deal. Now the autograph business and all the things that go with it is exploding even more so to where everybody feels entitled that they need the autograph and you should just do it. Now, the entitlement thing is is crazy. And look, I, I know athletes usually try to sign for kids when they can. Sometimes you're in an environment where you, you can't sign for people. You're going to cause a massive crowd. You're going to cause a block of whatever event that you're at. So they're told, listen, you can't sign anymore. You do it beforehand, you do it afterhand, but right now you got to get through this event. So uh, Patrick Mahomes was at a golf event. Is this a Tahoe tournament? Because if it's the Tahoe tournament, I went for 14 years. I was a part of it for 14 years. I know every little bit of how everything goes down, this and I've is seen everything. The American Century that's it. Championship. It's the Tahoe tournament that's the celebrity tournament that I was lucky enough to be asked to be a part of for 14 years. So he was asked... Not to sign autographs. That's right. Anymore. On the course, but, they don't want them signing because they're trying. It's it's a golf tournament. They're trying to get everybody through and trying to keep pl- pace of play. And what was happening is Patrick was signing autographs, and it was causing so many delays on the golf yep. course. They told him you can't sign anymore. Further along the golf course, kid and his father wanted an autograph. Of course, uh, Dad salty because he had to get told no. Here's what happened. Can make real oh, you can't. You can just make one kid happy out of 100. <laughs> That's all right. One out of 99. That's, at least it ain't 0%. This guy doesn't care if everybody else gets screwed. Right. As long as his kid gets the autograph, which automatically makes me want to smack this guy in the head. 
uh, but put this out on TikTok to try to make it look like here's Patrick Mahomes turning down kids when in reality he was instructed sure. you can't sign anymore. You got to get through the tournament after that. Whatever you do is, is, is your business. I'm all about, you know, kids, you know, trying to get. But to me, this is entitlement at a whole new level. You're stalking this guy at a golf tournament, and he's not allowed to sign, and you don't care. The thing to me is that I get it if you're a father and you just, you know, you love your kid and you're trying to be that dad that does everything for his kid. But you going about it like this with a guy like that, and, and I don't know Patrick Mahomes and I haven't seen him and been around him like I was at that tournament when Michael Jordan and other guys were there following the same rules. But even a guy like Michael, who wasn't big on signing, who didn't like to do all that stuff, the guys that run it at NBC said, you don't do it on the course, but we want you before and after the round, and especially after your round is done and everything that you have are required to do is done, spend some time signing some autographs. And Michael, of all people, was the biggest name and was probably the biggest guy that hated doing, didn't like autographs, but he would sit by the putting green and sign and sign and sign. And he knew a lot of these people were bringing the numbers ripped off of jerseys so that he could sign the number. They'd stitch it on a jersey, and they'd sell it for a grand or two. Right. But he st- even he did it. So I don't fault Patrick Mahomes at all. And because this guy tried to make a spectacle, because at the end of the day, what's his end result going to be? It's not that everybody feels sorry for his kid. He's hoping that Pat feels bad and says, well, let me sign something for you now and make it better. When, in fact, the dude should be called out for being a toolbox and trying to get special treatment that he didn't deserve. Doing it in a way in which Pat wasn't being a bad guy. He was following the rules that he was asked to follow. I don't know why... This is what I don't like about autograph hounds. There are times and places, and any time a guy like Patrick Mahomes is going to do an event like this, he's going to have a a determined signing period before the event or after the event. Why do you have to stalk him while it's going on? That's like the people who stalk celebrities or athletes in in restaurants, or they stalk him at the airport. Like they're regular people too. Let them have their lives. Booker T uh, told me a story one time about how uh, Book signs for everybody. Mm -hmm. Man, Book takes pictures. He signs. He's just relentless with it. But some guy was stalking him while he was with his family at a restaurant. And the guy was just, like, obnoxious about it. So Book stood up, put the mean mug on. was like, what would you say? Scared the crap out of the guy. And then uh, he's like, you know what? I would have signed for you, but you were a jerk. And you're you right. Jerk in front of my Look, kids. from the time we land in Reno to get to the course in Tahoe, they know your flight. They follow you with a briefcase that has the eight by ten glossies, that has baseballs if you're a baseball player, or tennis balls, or, or or cards or jerseys. There's people because there's signs on the course that say no helmets, no no basketballs or footballs, nothing extra, right? But then you see the people that. It's Tahoe. It's beautiful weather. And you see people that have 18 layers on because they're peeling off 18 different jerseys with a Sharpie in their back pocket to try and get them all signed. And they're trying to beat the system to make a buck where the players are just trying to do something nice for the fans. There was a lady that worked security on the course that used to keep a scorecard of how the players interacted with the fans. 
but she also would notate when the fans were a little much because there are guys that were just supremely crotchety and also offended that there were there were guys that would that the, the, the players thought were being the kids would come up for an autograph and I would see players legendary players go up to them and go who's paying you to do this the kid's five years old seven years old no one's paying him to do it but they're so on edge because they're pissed off that people are selling their autograph for profit that they're already on the tack boat on kids this is what it became whereas a lot of the other people that just said look i made all my money i don't care if they're making money too i'm going to take my chances that the majority of the people i'm signing for are going to value the autograph they're getting from me I can't worry about the 5%, 10%, 20% that are trying to make a buck off of. This is so many guys like, you know, will say, what's your name? And they'll make two whomever. Because then with, it devalues the autograph. And right. Now it's, it's, it's great for you, but you can't sell it. That's right. That's absolutely right. Because, look, I can tell you the story real quick. We were, we were playing one time with Marshall Falk in our group, and a woman walked up to him and asked him to sign a jersey, and he signed it. Now, nine holes later, we're making the turn. And the same woman is walking up. We know the signs say no helmets, no whatever, whatever, whatever. And Marshall's already signed for her. She comes up and says, Marshall, will you sign my helmet? And he laughs. And she's like, what's so funny? He goes, I already signed a jersey for you earlier. She proceeds to go in what looks like a a smaller than average purse and pull out a full-sized Rams helmet and says, can I sign this? And he was just like, oh, my God. He goes, I think your purse just gave birth to a helmet. I don't know what just happened. But he goes, we're not supposed to do that, and I'm not doing that. And she got offended, and he had already signed a jersey. And you're like, you can't please everybody all the time. But even when you try to do the right thing, people think that you're a bad person. No, and it's just gimme, gimme, gimme all the time. Coming up next, we'll do a little Texans over under as we are getting closer to the start of training camp. Coming up next. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. You're hooked up with it. Toss a coin to your witcher.